0: To To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 9, and the uh, title for the last time was the history of a disaster. You know, so basically, history is really neat in the way that when you record an event, even if it's a di- disastrous event, hopefully for those of us that are reading history, whether it's in the Bible, whether it's a secular event, We can learn from that event, right? We're going through something in this country where we've, you know, fought in World War II and, you know, there was a lot of historical things that happened in the 20th century and that it's very, very important for us to know these things. If nothing else, even if we weren't alive back then to say, well, how can I avert a disaster in my own life with my own family? And again, a lot of the ways we do that is through history. So this morning we're going to be, the message is titled, No Turning Back. Now, that's also sad because we're reading an event that happened in the 6th century BC, right? Whether you look at the Bible or you look at uh, strictly secular sources, they line up completely like an overlay. Um, But there was some really, really rough things that had taken place. God had warned his people over and over, literally It's one thing when your parents or as parents, we warn our kids and we think like we've said it a million times, but God had warned his people literally for centuries, be careful, don't go in this direction. And uh, they didn't listen. And then, you know, the Babylonians had come in and there was no turning back. But let me just submit to you that I want to make sure the title makes complete sense in that no turning back, people can hit rock bottom, so to speak, and still want to go further down instead of turning to God. Uh, But none of us have to do that. You know, you might be sitting here today and say, you know what, I I feel like I've hit a point in my life of of no return. But as long as you consider God and you want to turn to him, you know, no turning back is is a foolish decision that we make, but the decision never has to be made. So I want to make that perfectly clear. You could be sitting here, you could be considering the things of God, you could be struggling with a life event, but realize that, you know, you you could look at things and say, why bother at this point? But the truth is, as the expression goes, God allows U-turns. And for nothing else, even if you say, you know what, I never knew God. And now I'm kind of, you know, I know I'm throwing this from so many different angles. I'm sort of, you're kind of using him, reaching out to him, but that's what he's there for. He is that lifeline for us. So whatever we're going through in life, the Israelites could have done it. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Israelites back in this time period, some were in Jerusalem who were just totally self-deceived. And there was a lot of them that were already taken out to Babylon. And the two groups of, of, of uh, Israelites with the same bloodlines had a different perspective on life. The ones in Babylon with Ezekiel realized, you know what? Um, we get it now. The ones in Jerusalem, they weren't getting it. So we're going to look at that and and see what the Lord is trying to show us in this portion of Scripture. So Ezekiel 9, starting with verse 1, he says, Then he, right, this is all to be read as one thought in Ezekiel's scroll back then. Ezekiel is relating that God had called out in his hearing. So Ezekiel is sort of a witness to this event with a loud voice, and these things are happening in the heavenly realm, saying, let those who have charge over the city, meaning Jerusalem, draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men, from Ezekiel's perspective, they looked like men, came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. So one is completely set apart from the other one's, They went in and stood besides the bronze altar. We'll get to that. Now the glory of the Lord, of of the God of Israel, had gone up from the cherub, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's ink horn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city. Through the midst of Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said, in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill, and do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So one out of four is the command to slay the wicked. If you're new to the church and new to the Bible, give me a little time to, to explain some of this. You know, it's so funny. I have to say, I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to teach Ezekiel. And then I start, it's been, I've been, it's been a while since I've been in Ezekiel. I'm like, Oh, that's in there. All right. So a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, study. You know, how do we make head or tail over this? Um, so we're going to look at that. Few things. Number one, you have to look at the context. As I said in my opening, literally, imagine God warning His people the same thing, literally, for centuries, hundreds of years, multiple times uh, over our life's lifespans. Um, he he warns His people about their wickedness and what it would bring longer than the United States has. United States have been a nation. Think about that for a minute. Right? We think of George Washington and all those people. Um, God was warning his people for longer than the United States has been in existence. So we have to look at that. Uh, th- abominable things were being done by the clergy, right? Today, if we see something on TV about clergy abuse, all of us get upset because that is wrong. Those are the last people that should be doing those types of behaviors. was going on here. Uh, we also see that this was a righteous judgment of the wicked. It calls to mind Noah's flood sodom and gomorrah and future revelation judgments which we covered a year ago and the innocent is spared and i'm going to get to that so there's a lot to unpack here based on their actions you know and, and i will say well these are angelic beings these are angels and some people may say "Ah, oh, pastor joe i didn't i didn't see that i didn't see the wings you know i what would you how do you know this so a few things context number one is that the task For a handful of men, for hundreds of thousands of people in this city, would be impossible for six people to do. Um, They also appear suddenly. They also stand behind the bronze altar, which was always understood in the Old Testament as a picture of the place uh, for sin sacrifices. Probably the most fascinating is the part that angels and demons have charge over territories and topography until the last battle. When God completely eradicates evil, Satan is destroyed. And, you know, we read this in the book of Revelation. Just to, and again, I find this fascinating. Uh, Daniel 10, which we studied maybe two years ago, uh, you got this Daniel praying and Gabriel comes to him, the angel Gabriel, right? Uh, And then he's talking about Michael, you know, the angel Michael, archangel intervening. He talks about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And what happens is you have two good angels, right? You got Gabriel, you got Michael. This is all in one chapter. It'll blow your doors off if you read it. But you also have demonic entities that like to also war and vie for territory and by territory they don't care about land they care about people so the good ones are are trying to always bring us closer to God and the bad ones are always trying to pull people away from God so Greece and and Persia back in those empires had demonic entities that were controlling many of the people now I would submit that capitals Right? Capitals of cities and countries are big prizes for the demonic realm. You think about what type of, yeah, I've done, some people get irritated with me because I don't like the corruption that I see in our country. I've done studies on Washington, D.C., and the horrific things that go on in that city, and the corruption, and the you know the you know the oppression and all kinds of stuff, and so um, to me, one day we'll, we might see what type of demonic being had charge over Washington D.C. No doubt there were there are some good angels there trying to get some people over the finish line to believe in God. Beijing, Pyongyang, Tehran, you know, Moscow. So you have some pretty fierce demonic entities and pretty strong angels that are are vying for these. These places. Why? Because capitals have the largest concentration of people. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the whole study of angels and demons is actually very fascinating. We see a lot of that in Ezekiel, verse two. The one angel has this writer's inkhorn. He's he's got linen. He's got this writer's inkhorn, and this is sort of like an angelic marking tool. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he, so somehow he does this and he marks the people uh, to protect them, sort of like a seal. Now, we've seen this all throughout scripture, right? In Revelation 7, which we just covered, before the uh, angelic beings are casting down these judgments upon the earth, which is a future from now, is that God stops them and allows the 144,000 evangelists to be sealed so that the judgments don't affect them. They get a, a mark on themselves, right? In Revelation 13, the bad side also has their mark, right? The mark of the beast, which uh, if you don't have it, is this demonic, uh, aggressive, globalist, fascist dictator, right? Which we call the Antichrist will persecute those who don't have the mark of the beast, so you have God has His people marked, and of course the other side have their people marked. We saw this in the passover right the The homes were marked, so it wasn 't necessarily an inv- individual that was marked, but their their whole th- Family was protected by this marking on the door of the blood of the lamb, which was a precursor to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We're sealed as believers with the Holy Spirit. We have our own mark. We can't see it in other people, although you can kind of see it by their behavior. Um, but we have our own mark sealed with the Holy Spirit, the mark of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. He shed his blood for the remission of our sins, right? So you see that it's so funny because today you, if you turn on the evening news, they'll, they're so weird. The news people, it's just, it's gotten insane. Where uh, you know uh, they don't. City people shouldn't like suburban people, and vice versa. White, black, Republicans, Democrats. But you, what you realize is that the only division, in the end, has to be those who followed God, who are on the proper path, and those who didn't follow God. I don't care what the media says. That's what it's all going to boil down to. God doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what your color of your skin is. He cares what's going on on the inside. Are you His? Are you his? And you have to ask yourself this morning. You walked in here. You don't know the Lord. Well, that's fine. There's no shame in that. Come and receive at the end of the service. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be one of the ones who are marked. And nothing can hurt you when you die. You go right to be in his arms when you perish. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here. So you can see the... You know, Ezekiel kind of brings you back to uh, Genesis. It brings you uh, forward to Revelation. And the Bible really comes full circle when you start to take all these books together. Listen, this is heavy. This is, if you're new to the things of God, you just walked into this church where we're in a very deep, deep study, right? It's something we have to really apply ourselves to. Verse 4, the criteria for receiving God or the protective mark. Remember, this is pre-Christ. Different dispensation, those that cry over the abomination of the city of Jerusalem, right? The men and women who just were disturbed by the corruption, by the clergy abuse, by the, the demonic activity that people were ushering into God's house, the temple. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that they were out in the street screaming and yelling. It just meant that God knew their hearts, You know, today we're saved by Christ. Understand that. You believe in Christ. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. You go into heaven when you die. it's very clear in scripture. However, do we also get upset by what we see in our own country, in our own culture? Does it bother us? It bothers me. The stuff that they're trying to indoctrinate kids with in school. The uh, the anti-God kind of mentality that's out there. Um, you know, just in our culture, we've adopted every philosophy except for the philosophy that Jesus saves sinners. Oh, you can't talk about that. Oh, shut up. You know, we'll sue you. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that bothers me. I, I'm grieved by it because I'm trying to go out there, whether it's in this pulpit or in my, uh, you know, time out of the pulpit, is just to talk to people and bring them closer to God. But we have a whole culture and. And, and media and political class in both parties that 's trying to push everybody away from God, so it, it really is a war it's, we're kind of it 's like a tug of war that 's been going on between angels and demons and also people submitted to Christ and people who aren 't submitted to christ and Again, I want every unsafe person to receive Jesus for their safe, for their safety and their sake, not because I get anything out of it, right We want to see people get saved because we love them. Um, Praying for revival, getting as many over the finish line as possible. Um, I'm getting... Bolder with strangers, if that's even a possibility. So, you know, you know me, so I'm like, all right, calm down. Don't be like a overactive puppy. You know, you want to win them the God that you don't want them to think you're weird. You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like balancing that whole thing out, but a lot of prayer goes into it, but it's, you'd be surprised how many conversations that not just me, that others have with strangers, because people are hopeless. You know, we live in a culture. There's so much technology, so much, you know, computer science and you know, uh, robotics and surgery. But we have a culture that's sad because they're not getting the, the living waters from the powers that be. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that can change us and refresh us. Not technology and not philosophy and not all that stuff. Um, it's God. God designed us all really with a God-shaped vacuum. And if God is not in that, in our soul, something else fills it, but it's only temporary. It never lasts. It never satisfies. So, verse 6, he says, begin at my sanctuary. You know, today... And, and you see this i don 't want to go into detail. it does affect different denominations, but um, sometimes a church uh, and people say i don 't like church and, and they have all these sometimes good reasons why they don 't like church um, because of the things they see but sometimes uh, something bad happens in a church and the and the you know the powers that be in the power structure defend that person or they try to keep it from getting out instead of Doing justice, allowing justice to take its course for the victim, you know, they they cover for each other. But you know what? God doesn't feel that way. God said, when the judgment comes, start at my house. Start with those priests and elders and those that did wicked things. And for some reading that, they're like shocked. Really? God feels that way? Yeah, because God is, he's just. He's a God of justice. And you know, God is a fair God. You know, and God says, "Don't don't be quick to be a teacher or a pastor or a priest or whatever, because you'll be held to a higher standard." But we don't see that in the world, do we? There's no justice in this world. There really isn't. So there's justice here. Um, then we look at the uh, okay, and we look, and this is probably one of the hardest things that I have to do in these two chapters to uh, explain, only because it is just a lot of depth to it. So you see. What happens in the spiritual affects the temporal or the physical. So Ezekiel, God is showing Ezekiel things that are happening in the heavenly realm. He kind of peels back the curtain of the atomic world to show us the real world. You know, atoms and molecules are things that are created by God. They won't last. They weren't designed to last. So he sees the angels and, and he sees what God is kind of working on. He sees the guy with the ink horn and he's marking people and the guys with the battle axes. And what's happening is Ezekiel's getting a, a glimpse of the future that's happening in the spiritual realm that will, but that will uh, come to pass in fulfillment in the physical realm. And that physical realm was when the Babylonians finally broke through the wall in 586 B.C., and again, read it in your history books, and it was a horrible thing. They busted up the temple, God's house. They they slayed the uh, the clergy. Uh, they went through the city lighting everything on fire, a big conflagration. So what we're going to see in the scripture is there's going to be fire, there's going to be uh, indiscriminate uh, you know, soldiers coming in. And, and how many times have we studied war and, and these things happen? No Geneva Convention back then. So if you actually read... On your spare time, Second Corinth or Second Chronicles thirty-six, which is written after Ezekiel, what it does is it tells you blow by blow what happened when the Babylonians came in. Right, the temple busted up, the sanctuary is defiled with with I hate to say it, dead clergy members. Right, um, the city is burned with fire, and everything that's being said here that Ezekiel sees beforehand comes to pass in five eighty six BC. So it's it's a little bit of a learning curve, uh, but I also look at this as well in that uh, when the Passover took place in Egypt, remember that story, right? All the way back in uh, Genesis. Uh, well, Genesis, Exodus, and you see the whole uh, movement of of the children of Israel back and forth. But what happens is the the firstborn are are taken out; they're they're slain, and some people might struggle with that. But wait a minute, what about the firstborn who might have been seven years old in Pharaoh's household? You have to look at it from this perspective. What we understand in scripture is if a child passes, right, before the age of accountability, they immediately go to be with the Lord. So in a sense, you could look at the uh, firstborn in Egypt with the corruption of the false gods and the demonic entities. You could look at the Hitler Youth in World War II. You could look at the Bolshevik Youth. When war takes place and some of these young ones are slain, they immediately go to be with God versus growing up to be an adult, indoctrinated into a sick ideology, and possibly being as far as, as away from God as an adult because their mind is corrupted from the surroundings. So it's not an easy thing to explain, but when you look at things all together... Um, I know for me personally, if it was me, I would prefer to be saved when I die versus being a millionaire or having some sort of power and being deceived and then dying at a ripe old age and not knowing God and then having to face him in judgment. So you got to kind of put everything together, but understand this is a prophecy of, of this, this uh, invasion that takes place, right? That we read about in scripture. Okay. Let's go back to verse 3. Because we can get so caught up on some of these details that we forget the point. God, God's, it's called the, so when the temple is built in Jerusalem, you know, uh, 400 years prior. And Solomon dedicates the temple. And God's like, you know what? This is a, a great momentous event. And the Lord actually sends what was called the Shekinah glory. Uh, to this area where sort of a a physical manifestation of God would dwell in this temple. And the people were blown away because they got to see this. They they couldn't describe it. It looked like smoke. It looked like a cloud. But there was Shekinah uh, glory. Is Shekinah means to sort of be in in dwelling. And the glory was sort of a weightiness. So God's indwelling weightiness came into the temple. It was so beautiful, according to what you read, is that the smoke or the manifestation, the priests actually had to leave, not in a bad way, but they just felt the weight of God and they couldn't stay there in his presence. So the people watched this beautiful manifestation of God and just rest over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Unfortunately here, Because of the corruption and the evil, God, sort of like he packs up and he moves out. Really sad. And we have to ask ourselves today, people, wherever you are in your heart, are you, is God in your life or is he not in your life? We can get caught up in the details and the the dates of the invasion and we could get off on all these rabbit trails and it's good that the Bible gives us a lot of details, but The bottom line is God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. So I'm encouraged. And again, if you've come into this church and and you're seeking and you're considering, is God in your life or is he not? But if he's not, he can be. He can be. So we're going to get to that at the end. Verse 8. It says, so it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone and I fell on my face. Now, this is the prophet and I cried out and I said, "Ah, oh, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel in Judah is exceedingly great. And the land is full of bloodshed, not from God, from them. They oppress their own people and the city full of perversity. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. So, so the leaders were basically saying, You know what? God's not dealing with us, so we're fine. So they oppressed the people more because they felt like, well, God's not acting. He's not punishing us. But God was just being merciful and patient with them. Um, And they took that the wrong way, that God is okay with what we're doing. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare nor I will have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then the man clothed with linen who had the inkhorn at his side reported back to me, And said, I have done as you have commanded me. So this is fascinating. Two out of four is the weeping of Ezekiel. Now, when we look in the scripture, we see that Abraham pleaded for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's like, listen, no matter how many righteous, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I never punished the innocent with the wicked. Never. God never does that. Um, Jeremiah, same thing, weeping over the city. Even though his own people abused him so much, he was so saddened because he knew what was coming. Jesus, right, in the first century, you know, lamenting over Jerusalem, knowing that the A.D. 66 through A.D. 70 wars were coming. Of course, Jesus being fully God and fully man knew these things. He, he lamented, he probably wept over Jerusalem. He said to his disciples, you see these buildings? This one stone is not going to be left on another. His heart broke, and this is what sin and wickedness does to our country, to their country, to countries today across the seas. And again, it should be our heart. Anyone, I've said this, and it's worth repeating, anyone who enjoys teaching about the truth, the reality of hell and judgment, shouldn't be in ministry. We know, unfortunately, that judgment has to come, but we don't enjoy teaching about it. You know, all of God's people, men and women, their hearts broke when those who should have hit rock bottom were digging themselves in even deeper grave instead of just turning to God. We can be so stubborn as human beings. And I got to be honest with you, I got saved in my 20s, mid 20s. Um, It it took a while for me to get it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I was one of those stubborn people. And I look back and go, oh my goodness, like I just, I'm just happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? I'm happy that I came out of the, the pretend world of everything's fine and you're never going to die. And you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm here is all I can say. Um, so I, I, I feel that, that I want to see as many people get saved as possible. I don't understand some in church organizations who just think about themselves. Their whole life is about, they don't think about others. When you truly understand the Bible, we, you understand that everybody dies, and you know, we want to see his man, pray for revival in the United States and in other nations, right? So uh, Jeremiah weeps because he saw the fulfillment of what Ezekiel says in his prophecies, right? Ezekiel was tough. You get to as we go through Ezekiel, we realize he was a tough guy. He's a tough prophet, but here he breaks down because he knows that judgment comes and it breaks his heart. Verse 11, the angel confirmed to God what Ezekiel was concerned about, sparing the remnant. Now, so this is important and and this is a, a point of theology. People will read the Bible, right? And they'll read it out of context and they'll go, oh my goodness, the Bible says that. So did God need Ezekiel to remind him that he should spare the remnant? No, God loves the worst sinner more, infinitely more than even that person's family. So Ezekiel kind of goes to God and says, oh, he's emotional. He's upset. And he's saying, you know, is everyone going to be slain in the city? And of course, God doesn't answer him. But when the angel comes back, the angel's sole job was to mark people so that the innocent wouldn't be slain. So he kind of answers Ezekiel's question, although God doesn't answer directly. You see where we're going with this? So you find that uh, Pastor Paul is uh, in in Job, and, uh, you know, Job gets upset a lot of times about what's going on, his friends, and they say things out of emotionalism. It's recorded in the scripture, but just because they say it in that particular point doesn't mean it was actually accurate. But the Bible records everything, good, bad, you know, whatever. Okay. God always spares the remnant. And you know what? We saw this in the flood of Noah, right? We saw this in Sodom and Gomorrah. The people were removed from the city before the city was, was judged. We see this in the future, in the rapture, the remnant here, right? Before, the, you know, this whole kind of system that we're seeing unfold starts to really implode upon itself. You know, the aggressive globalist movement, etc. God will always spare the remnant. He's not going to judge the righteous with the wicked. We see this from Genesis to Revelation. Now, let me just kind of put a a positive, let me give you some positive information here because whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's the same God. Just so you understand God's heart. Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33, he says several times in other books as well, it says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked because he knows what that means. But his desire is for them to change and to turn towards him. Repentance and salvation. So God will give us free will even to make dumb decisions. I still make dumb decisions. Hopefully they're not really big dumb decisions, right? So he still gives us free will, but his desires, according to spiritual things, especially if we're going on the wrong track, is to turn towards him and say, you know what, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to, change. I'm ready to turn towards you, Lord. I want to follow you. The parable of the prodigal son Jesus told that one, that one's really powerful. You know, it's a picture of God scanning the horizon, waiting for his wayward son to come back and then hug him and kiss him and throw a feast for him. And Jesus is telling us that's the heart of the father. You know, any, any, he says that a shepherd can have a hundred sheep and 99 sheep are just fine. And one goes astray The shepherd secures the 99 and goes out looking for the one sheep that strayed. He's not happy that he's got a 99% success rate. And again, this was a picture of the heart of God. The woman who had the 10 coins, one was lost. She tears everything apart in the house to find that one last coin. Oh, I, I got, I'm 90%. I'm good. No. Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us that God's heart is that everybody would be saved. Unfortunately, our free will can sometimes get in our way. So I would say today, if you're here and you're seeking, definitely make that proclamation that to trust in Jesus Christ. Okay. Chapter 10, verse one says, and I looked and they're in the firmament. Now we're going back to see heavenly things, the angels again, right? We covered this in chapter one. We keep seeing these cherub or, you know, Hebrew cherubim or in English, you would say cherubim, right? He says, I looked and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of the throne. And he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, go in among the wheels under the cherub, fill your hands with the coals of fire among, from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I watched. So you imagine the prophet just watching these things going, wow. Wow, And just writing it down. You know, Ezekiel's just being diligent. He's just doing what he's told. He's watching these things. He's writing it down. And and then we're reading it. It's verse 3. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the the cherub and passed over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory, and the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard even in the outer court like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. So he, so it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen saying, take fire from among the wheels from among the cherubim. Then he went in and stood beside the wheels and the cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherubim to the fire that was among the cherubim and took some of it and put it into the hands of the man clothed with linen. The other angel who took it and went out, the cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under their wings. Three out of four, Sadly, yeah, we can get caught up in the, in the angelic stuff, and uh, you know so last night where I lived, there was a tornado warning, and it was the coolest thing. It was dark, it was like eleven o 'clock, and you just see these flashes of lightning and i 'm like, of course i 've got to go outside and, and check it out right and um, it 's getting brighter and, and i see uh, I see blues, I see white, I see grays, I see the clouds. I see the flashes through the trees and I'm, I'm there with my iPhone, but it's, it's not letting me, it, it you know, I'm like, all right, now it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And then I hit stop. Cause I wanted to play it. Right. And then of course, when I hit stop, it does it again. So, and of course, some people would say, well, you should be in the house uh, in safety. No, no, no. It's more important that I get the, but I didn't get it anyway. But it just to just see the glory of God and, and from where I can stand on the earth to see the power of the of of the, the universe and what God made and the electrical fields and things we can't see in the physical manifestations, you know, it just kinda of reminded me of this. But what I saw doesn't do justice to what Ezekiel saw. He sees colors. He sees wings of angels. He sees flashes of light. He sees um, incredible movement and speed of the way these angels move when they decide to move. And and we covered this in Ezekiel chapter one. And we as human beings, we just get to bask in God's glory. We look at it, and you know, nature—it's beautiful. I don't suggest standing outside when there's a lightning storm and a tornado, just to be a little disclaimer there for the message. Uh, but but I was really blown away by it. Uh, so three out of four is what's the point here? <laughs> we can get, again, caught up in the, in the angels and stuff. Three out of four is when a culture pushes God away. So what's happening here? What you're finding is th- and this is so heavy. <laughs> what you're finding here is that is that, so you, you have, you have the, the Holy of Holies. It's a small room with, um, two likenesses of, of cherubim with their wings touching each other and touching the walls. Then you have this box. How many people saw, um, it was a fantasy movie, uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Not that many. Wow. So it was, it was a fantasy movie about them finding the, the, you know the mercy seat and the, and the ark of the covenant and you know it was an action movie and it had so much power it was interesting but so you have this ark and you have these these angelic figures that was supposed to be fashioned but what you also have is over this box this ark this mercy seat was a cover right it was called the mercy seat and you had this likeness of smaller uh, you know, uh, like a, a sculpture of these angels with their wings touching each other and um, hovering over the box. And God said that His Shekinah glory. So everything was inanimate. Everything was design. It was furniture. It was likeness. But God said, "I, my physical presence will dwell over where the where the angels are in that box." So you know, we you know what you're seeing here. You're seeing because, and again, this is said because God had to leave. He can't be. Inhabiting and, and be right next to such wickedness and corruption, so what happens is his his physical presence comes up off of the cherubim, off the mercy seat, the inanimate cherubim that were fashioned, and it moves towards the actual cherubim, so it 's almost like the the actual angels Ezekiel sees them, and and the, the god 's weighty presence moves from the fashioned angels to actually the real angels and then they they leave the temple. You know, we're told in Scripture, we're told in Scripture that everything that God had Moses and Solomon and all of them designed, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, God said, I want you to fa- get your fashioners and your artisans to make everything perfect in every detail. And it took a while for them to create all this where God would come and actually reside there. He said, because everything that I ask you to do on the earth is a copy of the things in heaven. And we see that in Hebrews 8. I expect a lot of emails after this. I really do. I expect a lot of people to hang out, write these things down and say, oh, you, you lost me on verse 3. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is a very, very deep portion of scripture. So what happens is the, the cherubs or the cherubim, right? The angels were fashioned in the temple, but it was a copy of God's real angels, with big wings and beautiful, you know, creatures, living creatures. Um, also, the Holy of Holies, that room where he was going to dwell. In Revelation 4, we see the throne room of heaven. You almost see that the Holy of Holies was just a copy on the earth of the real thing in heaven. Right? When you look at the, um, the bronze altar on the earth, you see here that the angels are by the real bronze altar in heaven. Um, the live coals that the angel takes and scatters over the cities or over the city. In Revelation 8, 5, the seventh seal, which we covered, the angel fills a censer with these coals and he's in heaven and he goes to throw it down to the earth. Remember, a future occurrence. You, so what you, you saw is, is, is that that's pretty powerful stuff, the seventh seal. But the copy of it was when they had the coals in, in the court area of the temple, right? There's a little bit of a a learning curve here. So the, the God Shekinah glory, his physical presence moves from the mercy seat in the holy of holies, right? And we're reading, it moves to the threshold, the door of the temple, the building, then it moves to the courts and it moves eastbound to the east gate. And then it's gone. So I read this and I, there's a lot of details. I love the details. But you know what I, what I realized out of all of this is this is sad. This is sad. You know, we live in a culture that's pushing God out. And I know it actually only sounds like, I've been a Christian for almost 30 years. It almost sounds like a cliche at this point. But it's becoming more ramped up. The name of Jesus offends people, right? The fact that we're all sinners offends people. They're triggered by it. Listen, I'll be the first one to say I'm a sinner. I still need the Lord, even as a pastor. So um, just just trying to come up with new philosophies and things that will help society, but without God, they don't help society. All right? I'll leave you with this, and then we're just going to wrap up the last few verses, is that in 2 Kings 25... Another historical book after Ezekiel is, is talking about th- this prophecy because he's actually predicting the future. In 2 Kings 25, 2 Chronicles 36, you see the details of the Babylonian invasion. But here's what's fascinating. Remember the guys with the inkhorn marking people? If you read history, you know, right, go check out hes- uh, secular history, read 2 Kings 25, what you'll find is that a lot of the oppressed people, remember, who were they oppressed by? Their own people or outside? No, they were oppressed by their own people, which was horrible. When the Babylonians came in, it's almost as if these people had a mark because they went right past them. They didn't slay them. They didn't burn them. They didn't steal from them. As a matter of fact, the Babylonians come in and the oppressed people, according to Second Kings 25, the Babylonians were like, we got rid of those wicked rulers, your rulers, move into their mansion, take care of their vineyards. We're, it's, there's a new sheriff in town, so to speak. What you're going to do is you're going to work for us. So the people who are oppressed by their own people, the, lead, the wicked leaders are removed and the oppressed people now move into places. Wow, this is great. Where'd so-and-so go? Oh, they took him off to Babylon. <laughs> this is my place now. So uh, it's kind of fascinating. And only God can do something like that, right? This has been tried in 20th century and it's tried today. And, you know, when you have humans trying to do this stuff, they're always going to have their biases and their prejudices at work. God did it in such a way that he fixed all the injustices and he, he did it perfectly. I just want to share that with you. That's the end of the story. And if I don't say that, you're left with, oh my goodness, what happened next? So that's my job. Last few verses, verse 9. It says, and I looked, there were four wheels by the cherub and one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by each other cherub, and we covered this in chapter one, the wheels appear to have the color of a beryl stone. We see these stones and these colors and and we went over in Revelation the beauty of God and sometimes the beauty of God to his people expressed in beautiful colors that no one's ever seen before. So they try to explain it. As for their appearance, all four looked alike as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went toward any of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but following in the direction the head was facing right remember we talked about them they just again you I I look at do map quest all the time well I don't know where I'm going to the doctor's office and I'm zigzagging all over the place these these angels they just point and shoot you know they just they take off and they're there Um, they don't need map quest apparently so they went to any of the four directions they did not turn aside when they went but following the direction The head was facing. They did not turn aside when they went. No need to. And their whole body with their back, their hands, their wings, the wheels that the four had were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing wheel. Each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face of a man. The third face of a lion. The fourth face was the face of an eagle. And the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature I saw by the river Kibar which we covered in earlier chapters. When the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels did not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels stood still. When one was lifted up, the other lifted itself up. For the spirit of the living creature was in them. If you really want a a heavy description of this, just you can get it for free off the website. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1, part 1, and part 2. All the wheels and stuff are explained. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. Remember, it's moving. It's moving eastward and eventually gone. And stood over the cherubim, which would be the real angels, right? And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them. And they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord God of Israel was above them. This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chebar, and I knew they were cherubim. Each one had four faces, and each one four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same as the faces which I had seen by the river Kibar, Their appearance and their persons, they each went straight forward." Four out of four is the angels escort God's glory away, right? These two go together. Um, Some people make something out of, uh, he sees the the cherubim again. And, you know, in Revelation, we see the living creatures when God, when God brings John, the apostle John up to, you know, heaven and his throne room. And he sees angels and creatures and, you know, the the sea of glass. And John is totally blown away. Um, Ezekiel sees the angels first. One sort of looks like an ox, but then he says one looks like a cherub, and they had four faces, but um, it could be a perspective difference, or um, when we think about the angelic world, we think of the cherubim, we think of the seraphim, we think of the living creatures. It does appear that God has just multiple orders of angels, and they just look different. God is a, he's an artist, you know, look at why do we have giraffes? Why do we have dragonflies? Why do we, God's just like, I'm just going to create this and I'm going to create that. And I'm going to, and I'm a beekeeper and me, and I'm going to create bees and, and Joe's going to love those. You know, so, um, don't don't ask me some things I just can't answer. God is just this incredible, better than Picasso, creates stuff and sends it into motion. And we have no ideas, weird looking animals and fish and stuff and, My wife and I were watching a nature show and uh, they were, boy, what a job. They were in these remote uh, oceans and looking at the the water was so clean and different schools of fish and sharks. And you know, it was amazing. They were all at peace. They were all swimming and and nobody was eating each other. And, and um, I'm like, that must be a really cool job. And you just see the hammerhead shark. And then this, and, and you look at all these fish and some, you're like, why? And because he just, the yellow tin, uh, yellow fin tuna, they got these pretty yellow things on their fins. All right, I'm going to stop. So I'm a nature lover. And the more I see nature, when I see nature, I think of God. Why do we have so many different varieties? Because he just loves creating stuff. Okay, where was I? <laughs> so, all right, four out of four, um, you know, Let me just leave you with this one illustration and then I'm going to wrap it up. And this is my attempt to describe. This is my attempt to describe when people say, I'm confused. So they They look like men, but they're angels. Um, It looks like the guys, the angels with the battle axes are slaughtering, but it really happens through the Babylonian invasion. It looks like coals are scattered over the city, but it really is fulfilled when the Babylonians set everything on fire. The Shekinah glory is lifted up from carved angels and end up in the presence of real angels. I'm confused. Okay, it's fair enough. I was too in the beginning. What's he doing with that grapefruit? (laughs) So this is where I'm going to leave it and it's going to make a lot of sense or at least I hope it does. This is, I guess, length times width, let's say that there's no microns, there's no third dimension. This is the world of the two-dimensional people, right? This is it, there's only two dimensions. This is the the world or the people of the three-dimensional world. So there's three dimensions to this object in my hand And there's two dimensions to this. What does the two-dimensional people see when a three-dimensional being comes into their world? Think about it for a minute. So here's the two-dimensional people, two-dimensional world, three dimensions. It's coming closer, it's coming closer, it's coming closer. The three-dimensional being touches the two-dimensional world. What does the two-dimensional world see? They don't see something round because they don't have that third dimension. The first thing they see is a pinpoint. It barely touches it. And then as the third dimensional being passes through the two dimensional world, it starts with a pinpoint. This is what they see. And then it becomes a circle. And the circle becomes really big. And then the circle gets smaller as the being passes through Then it goes to a pinpoint, and then it's out. It never sees the three-dimensional being. Why? Because it was only created in two dimensions. Does that make sense? So, I love science. I really paid attention in science class. And when you get into all these dimensions and stuff, it it make your mind hurt. God is trying to show Ezekiel, whose limit in his understanding and his capacity things that are happening in God's world. So God creates atoms. You know, multiple atoms together make molecules. Multiple molecules make compounds. Multiple compounds make cells. And then it's us. But the real world is the world before atoms were created. A-T-O-M. It's kind of a play on word. A-D-A-M. And Every so often, God reaches into our world to show us himself. When we went into Revelation, John was saying, it looked like, it looked like, this poor guy, the disciple. Maybe, I don't know, maybe normally confident, and then God brings him up to heaven, and he's showing him stuff, and John's like writing it down, and, and John's trying to explain to us on paper what happened in a world that has different dimensions. You see where we're going with this? So it's, I felt like in chapter 10, I needed to do that illustration because we're going to get to points in scripture. We sort of get it, but we don't completely get it, but that's okay. Because if we understand everything about God and could outfigure him, he wouldn't be God and we would be. So let's leave it at this. The sermon title is no turning back. Unfortunately for the people in Jerusalem at the the time, they hit rock bottom and they kept digging themselves into a lower grave. God did not want that. But the good news is in Ezekiel 43, we do see the glory of the Lord come back to the temple. Isn't that neat? Everyone's sad. It's leaving. It's leaving. But it does come back. And we'll talk about which one it comes back to. But let me just say this: We left on the presence of God and the glory of God and the bigness of God, folks. If you're struggling with anything right now, there never has to be a point of no turning back. There never does. You know, the Bible tells us that God's desire is that all would come to know Him, would come to salvation. And you know what? Then technically, you're 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 marked. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit you've trusted in Jesus Christ, nothing can harm you. Whenever it's your time to go, you're going to spend all of eternity with with your creator. But he did give us something extremely powerful and it's called free will. But free will can also be a double-edged sword. And those of you who've been Christians for a while understand what that means. So I want to just... Wow, it didn't take me an hour. I'm looking at the clock. Praise God. Just to digest it all... But to understand the most important parts. And the most important part is really not the history. It's not the Babylonians. It's not the structure of the temple or the angels. The most important part is, is, is God in our life or is he not?
0: And if he's not, do you want him in your life? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.